I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the 1-1 draw against one of the best teams in the world of the podcast. We are ace. And I'm joined by the Rodrigo first Leeds goal of the podcast, Tom Alderson. We don't care how it gets there, just that it happens. And finally, the Stuart Dallas red card challenge of the podcast, raking down the back of your Achilles heel, it's Joe Hill. How are you doing, Joe? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Uh, really enjoyed the game yesterday. Um, I have to say, I do think we got away with one with that Dallas challenge. I, th- I was wincing pretty hard when that happened. So Mike Dean let us off one there. How are you feeling about being the first time recipient of a of a negative intro? I think this is the first time it's happened. Yeah, that, I was, uh, I'm quite enjoying it, actually. Uh, it's nice to know that I'm further down the pecking order than uh, Josh and Darren. <laughs> so it's quite a nice change for me. <laughs> and Tom Alderson, how are you? I'm, I'm good, thank you. Um, I, I really enjoyed the game, and cause my, most of my family are either Leeds fans or City fans. Mm. Um, so, really, for our family, it was probably the perfect result. Um, but yeah, re- really enjoyed the game, and I've, yeah, I just as long as we can keep it up, that's fine. Well, let's begin with uh, the question we always begin with, which is, how did that feel? We'll go with you, Tom. How did the game feel to you as it as it sort of unfolded? Well, I, I kind of went into the game assuming we were going to get thumped, so I kind of I was quite calm um, for the first seventy-five minutes. I put probably not seventy-five minutes, probably sixty minutes, and then suddenly I was like, "Oh, I actually think we might get something here," and it got incredibly stressful. And towards the end, I just I could barely even watch it. But yeah, it was a really enjoyable game, and I think if I was a neutral fan, I would have probably been one of the best games I'd ever watched. Really. How about you, Joe? Yeah, I think I went into the game with a, actually a little bit more optimism than I did against Liverpool. For, for some reason, I just saw I saw the defensive frailties in Man City's, and I thought that we could exploit that. Um, I thought it might be another high-scoring uh, game, uh, like just basically a shootout. Um, but in the end, it was just great football. It was just great to watch. It was great to see two teams who just want to attack, two well-respected managers and... Yeah, I just really enjoyed it, and I hope that we can have plenty more of those games to come this year. It's interesting, isn't it? Because in the um, tactical preview that I did for the game, 
I did sort of focus on the fact that City have been a little bit um, a little bit uncertain in their um, Premier League return this season. They've they've been um, experimenting with a new formation um, that they have used in the past, but they were using it um, predominantly so far this season. And actually, when uh, they came out yesterday, they returned to their. Uh, standard four three three that we we've talked about with with Rodri in the in the pivot and um, and then De Bruyne and Foden ahead of him um, and it, it was I think it was it was an interesting game in insofar as um, and until about I can't remember the exact minute but um, the the moment in which um, uh, Bernardo Silva comes on and then Nathan Ake come on and then they go back uh, sorry Fernandinho comes on. They they go back to this four two three one, as well, and I think that, it, that was on the back of the fact that the game really really opened out um, in terms of in terms of the attacking chances created. Um, let's talk about that. Why, do, in terms of the structure of the of the game, um, why do we why do we think that Guardiola went back to the four three three? Do you think it's simply because the four two three one had been so? Um, impotent really in the first few games that they'd had they played that obviously against Leicester who sat really deep and just sort of decompressed quickly and and, and with a player like Jamie Vardy you can do that um, or do you think that there was a tactical reason why why Pep did that did you think he thought that the 4-3-3 might work better against Leeds I think he he probably did think it, it would work better against Leeds um, I, I, he knows that Leeds aren't the type of team just to sit back and let them you know, let City attack relentlessly. I think he knew that it was going to be a bit, a bit more out of control, and therefore, you know, a few more players forward, having De Bruyne playing a bit more forward and Sterling, Mares, you know, they they could catch us on the counter attack. Um, and then I think as the game just sort of went crazy in the second half and got a bit out of control, I think Pep wanted to just solidify it a bit more. And Fernandinho is uh, an amazing player and. I think putting him on was a great idea um, and I think Mendy was sort of tiring out on the left-hand side and I think I, I hadn't seen RK play on the left uh, at left back that much but um, yeah I think it was just a, just to sol- try and solidify the game a bit more but um, in my opinion it, it didn't really work it sort of kept that that super high tempo for the whole 90. Although I would say probably in the in the last ten minutes, City did look a little bit more dangerous than they had done yeah. uh, before that. Um, I think a lot of this comes down to the fact that City just weren't playing a striker, and obviously that's because they've got uh, injuries to Gabriel Jesus and um, and Sergio Aguero. Um, but so much of what happened, I think, in the game sort of hung on that because even when City, I think, were at their most dangerous, um, it was mainly because of, of Raheem Sterling being hard to mark and I think after the first 20 minutes we just sort of doubled up we made sure Luke Ayling was man marking him and Robin Koch the the free player was just sort of helped him out um, a fair bit and that I think that really stymied them um, in in terms of going forwards Um, and again not to take anything away from us but had they had a player like Sergio Aguero or or um, uh, Gabriel Jesus playing I do think it might have been a slightly different prospect for us um, marking from the back um, but I think we're getting ahead of, ahead of ourselves here um, because uh, let's talk Tom about the, the quote that Hugh Davis sent in he he quoted or he tweeted that game was terrific fun Tyler and Genev saying tactics went out of the window made me wonder if that was true or just a cliche it was very open but tactical success isn't solely about restricting an opponent if you are creating chances yourself both teams attack tactically, um, and he said he wondered what we thought of this. And I know that you, you your um, eye was drawn to this this tweet. So, what did you make of uh, of Hugh Davis's tweet? We, we've all watched enough Bielsa games now that we know that 
it can look incredibly disorganised, but it doesn't necessarily mean that tact- we're like just tactics have gone out the window or um, it's just kind of free for like it, it's the sort of nature of our man man marking system that we're gonna end up looking like we're just the players all over the place like because like uh, Ailing might follow if Sterling comes deep, Ailing might follow him, um, and it looks like Ailing's out of position when it actually it's been it's what he's been asked to do, mm. um, and I think I think pundits are kind of getting their head around it now um, and I th- I'm hoping that they'll stop saying that we look disorganised I think in parts against Liverpool we probably did and I think it's just because it was the first game and it was all probably nerves to an extent but yeah I've, got, I've just got to disagree with that I just I don't think I mean we know where we'd be else the tactics are never out of the window it's just it's just what what um, just the way we play yeah I guess I would say that you know when when the game's open it suited us so I think that was a tactical decision by Bielsa to to play in that way. We were getting in behind their midfield a lot. And, you, you know, we've already talked about how they went with two eights rather than one eight and two sixes. And I think a lot of that was to do with the fact that they wanted to press um, Calvin Phillips quite hard. And they did that in the first 20 minutes. And we'll go on to talk about how, how that broke down. But after a while, when Leeds were breaking their press or just bypassing their press, they just had Rodri as the only defensive player um, really patrolling in front of the back four and that meant that that Leeds were, were enjoying quite a lot of decent um, attacking possession and in a, as a result of that Guardiola switched back to a 4-2-3-1 so he had two sixes rather than two eights and I think that actually that did solid them up and then they, they just went a little bit more counter-attacking after that point. They, they looked to absorb the pressure and then there was a few chances where they just decompressed really quickly. There was, there was the chance where Sterling was stopped by a decent piece of backwards defending by Robin Koch um, and there was a few other dangerous chances as well. So yeah, the game opened out, but I think tactically that worked for Marcelo Bielsa. That's what he was aiming for and Guardiola responded to that and and changed his tactics so that they they solid it up a little bit more and I think in the last ten minutes they they probably had the the, the more controlled attack um, or at least the more the more dangerous attacking chances there was a few penalty shouts that we could have given away um, and yeah they didn't create any dangerous chances per se but uh, they were definitely on the ascendancy so I don't yeah I think that's the way to to look at it I don't think tactics are going out the window and I think the point that Hugh is making is correct you know people think of tactics as being like chess tactics so sort of like careful move for move like defensive play um whereas in this case it was it was the opposite of that but we did see we did see a huge amount of um, tactical tweaking through the game as well so we'll go on to talk about that um we had another question from um from Bielsa Baller about this he said at what point in the four games have we seen um we have seen did the typical structure of the game seem to fall apart was there a correlation between Rodrigo's introduction and the chaos and again yeah I don't I just don't think there was really that much chaos there um insofar as as we've already said like the lead system is based around creative chaos Joe do you have any thoughts on on this to- topic yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure that the the it, there was that much chaos, and I don't personally see the correlation between Rodrigo uh, coming on and and that happening. I think, and we're going to go on to talk about the the first twenty minutes and then the the following uh, seventy. But I think it's it's more to do with how how City changed their approach, how they were pressing incredibly high and retaining possession really well. And then they just kind of let us back into the game. And I think it's at that point, I would have said, is when the game became a, a little more open. Um, and But yeah, I think there was still plenty of tactics there. And there was 
I wouldn't say it was chaotic, personally. I think with Rodrigo coming on as well, we saw this in against Sheffield United, that that was kind of when we, we started getting out of our own half more. Um, so it's always going to look more disorganised because it becomes more to end-to-end. But before Rodrigo in both games, we were actually struggling to get our, our own half quite a lot. So it probably looked more organised where actually we were probably struggling more and it was actually maybe even less organised. Rodrigo is an interesting player, isn't he? Because he's he is creative, and I think that's what we that's what we miss without having Hernandez on the field. And I think what you get with Hernandez is that he is he's sort of creative in an obviously creative way. Whereas with Rodrigo, it's a little bit more. He just tries things. He just constantly sort of dropping into a position, trying to get the ball, feed it onto someone else. He's always trying to transition the ball and move it. And a lot of the time yesterday, it broke down. And and you know, if you if you were to watch a compilation of all of Rodrigo's game involvements from yesterday I'm sure you there would be a lot of situations where he's like he's made a pass and it's just gone straight to an opposition player there's a few times when he passes and it goes out to touch there's a few times where he loses the ball um, completely but so much of that is in the final third it doesn't matter so much it's about it is about getting the teams moving getting them into different situations so that oppositions are stretched um, and one of the things that I noticed one of the things that we do so well is the the third man run um, where you know you pass it to one player and then they lay it off to another player because it's so hard to it's so hard to deal with in the zonal marking systems um, if, if one player moves it on to then another player um, and you know that's the, the classic sort of Stuart Dallas thing that we do as well where he'll just play the ball down the line, run, and then overlap for someone else it, and, and then pick up the ball once it's gone down the line again. So the, I do think that, that Rodrigo is, it was really, really useful in, in that regard. But let's move on to talk about the first 20 minutes. So we had a, we had a lot of questions about um, what happened in the first 20 minutes. So let's go through a couple of these. So Simon says, what did we do di- differently after 20 minutes to go from getting screwed to dominating the game? Uh, Richard Lang said he was keen to be clear how the City press on Calvin worked and how we overcame it as a side after the first 20 minutes. Um, yeah, and then we'll leave. There's a couple more questions, but I'll leave, I'll leave those um, for, for after this. So who wants to jump in first with the uh, the 20 minutes question? I'll go on this. Um so I think in the, what City were doing, uh, they were kind of they were pressing the fullbacks um, or the centre centre backs, and but like forcing them inside. So the only option they ever had then was either to go to Melier or to go to Phillips. And so if they went to Melier, then then I think it was mainly Mares. What no? What was Mares playing? I don't. It one of the Mahrez, players, yeah, it was yeah, Mahrez. was a uh, in Phillips, and that um, basically meant Melier had no options apart from either go back to centre backs or go long and. Um, that's where I think a lot of the misplaced passes c- came from. That, um, so I've, yeah. And then City's pressing. Sort of that for the first twenty minutes, they were pressing really intensely. And when when we started to get back into the game, it was um, they they. I think I don't know if it was like they pressed less or we started bypassing it more, or just a combination of both. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So, so what was happening is the two wide players, so that's Raheem Sterling and uh, Ferran Torres, were sort of sitting on the passing channel between the fullback and the centre back. So, you, so you, someone was someone. Well, Sterling was sitting between um, Ailing and Koch, and they were sort of blocking off the blocking off the pass, but they were also stopping the the little chipped ball through from Melier to the to the fullback. So, if the ball went short, they would press the full uh, the centre back. If the ball went dinked along, then they would press the fullback. And then, yeah, Mares was just sort of sitting on the passing lane between Melier and and Calvin Phillips, and then the two um, centre midfielders behind him. So, um, Cal, uh, Kevin De Bruyne and um, Kev, uh, Foden, Phil Foden, they were just waiting if the ball did go to Calvin Phillips and they would, they would spring a trap on him as well. And um, yeah, it, for the first 20 minutes, they were just brutal. There was, there was nothing we could do, so we were just going long. And I think 
after the 20, 20 minutes were up, I don't know whether or not they, they said, right, we pressed hard and high for the first 20 minutes and then we'll drop off because you can't press with that sort of intensity for the whole game. Or whether or not it's simply that we started bypassing their their press in in a in a better way than than they had been dealing with before. One thing I did notice was that Calvin Phillips started dropping in between in the spaces in between um, the fullback and the centre back. So he dropped in between Koch and uh, and Ailing quite a bit. Obviously that allows Ailing to push forward as well, um, but it also meant that there was a huge space then in in Leeds midfield, which then um, Mateusz Klich would would drop into and then he's obviously that just upsets the whole marking system because if Mares is trying to block the passing lane to to KP and he moves out of the way um then what do you do you then you then are trying to mark another player and the whole marking system breaks down so um I think partly because of that the city dropped dropped their press a little bit deeper they just sort of sat and waited for the ball to come a little bit more in their central midfield areas and once they've done that we've got um Cooper and Koch who are both very good at uh, um, passing long and we just started going long with the with the passing and we went down the w- wings a lot as well um, we just we just stopped using Calvin Phillips as part of our build-up and at that point you know what what can you do um, there's there's not a lot you can do one of the interesting things I've noticed actually I've gone into I went in and had a look at the stats in the Sheffield United game versus the um, versus the City game so looking at the pass types um, what I was really interested in is if you look at the passing the, the passing under pressure that Leeds did against Sheffield United, so that's when you're making a pass and someone's pressuring, pressuring you on the pass. We made 103 passes under pressure against Sheffield United. Um, if you look at the game yesterday, we made 21 passes under pressure from City. So we just weren't engaging with their press at all. We weren't trying to be press resistant. We just moved the ball on before it became a pressure situation. And, and I think that just stands to reason why it was that we were... Um, we were much better after we sort of stopped trying to play through the press. Um, we had a question from um, uh, Simon Appleton who said, I've seen a lot of talk about us bypassing midfield. Um, insert no midfield, just vibes meme. Do we? Is that a bad thing? And is it different from last year? So Joe, this is sort of in line with what we've just said. How do you feel about the fact that we're now a lot more direct as a team rather than well, as we were in the championship, sort of breaking presses by just working through them? I mean, we're seeing we're seeing a higher quality of presses uh, from the opponent. You know, Liverpool and Man City, are some of the best presses in in Europe, really. And uh, I don't think we really came across uh, pressing to to that quality in the Championship. So it's it's a valid uh, tactic to to play long and to bypass the midfield. And I I don't really have a problem with it. You you see Liverpool do that loads. Um, you see Chelsea sometimes do that. You see Man City do that, where you know the centre back will get the ball, like Van Dijk or whoever, and they'll just launch it up to Firmino or to Mane in behind. And I think that that variation in their game is is what can make the team so good. I think if we just are always playing short passes through the midfield and tick attacker, then that's brilliant. But we need we also need another sort of Plan B type thing. Um, and I think just sending a long ball over or bypassing the midfield or sending a diagonal over to Harrison, well, obviously not yesterday, but um, whoever's there, uh, I think is a is a great plan B to have. I think it's, it's one of the standard criticisms of Guardiola, isn't it? That he's such an idealist that he doesn't change things up. And it's, I mean, it's a criticism that's been made of Bielsa before as well. But um, the, 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 I think the Paragon example for me is Jurgen Klopp, who arrived playing sort of high-pressing 
uh, Gagan pressing style, which he realised wasn't going to work if he was challenging for Premier League titles. It's fine to play as a mid-table team in Gagan press, but you have to retain control of the ball if you're an elite side. And so Jurgen Klopp has developed this this new approach where you have got creative passing from from the back and from the the fullback areas as well. Um, Virgil Van Dijk is one of the best passes of the long passes of the ball in the Premier League, and they're, they're not scared to use that. And when you've got elite players, this is the thing, right? It used to be the case that you would play long ball football because you didn't have the talent to actually hold possession. But now we've got player teams that are able to hold possession, but they realise that, you know, they've got talented forwards who can bring a ball down and then create chances that way as well. And it's just about diversity of chances as much as anything else. So yeah, um, totally agree with that. Um, in line with this um, question about, about what we need in terms of, um, in terms of um, midfield clientele so Tom Jackie Bucket says do we need a more press resistant midfielder it felt like the first 20 minutes we struggled to beat the press and Phillips looked pressured throughout the game when he was on the ball would adding that type of player work better in that type of game so we, we've obviously tried to sign uh, Michael Cuisance and that fell through he was I think a very press resistant midfielder so it suggests that we're looking for someone like that um, how important do you think that that player would be for us Tom and how bad would we be without them I guess is the other question we do definitely definitely need need someone and just someone that can um almost drop in um alongside Phillips like a to form a, a double pivot um we've seen Dallas kind of do that a bit um to help Phillips out and obviously yesterday that was what click click did uh dropping deep so i think it would definitely help us if we ha- had a player like that um what's just look at the second part of the question um would adding that type of player work in that type of game yeah, it prob yeah, it probably would help. Um so yeah, to answer the question, I think we definitely do need someone like that. It would be interesting to see what would have happened had we had a midfielder who could have been a bit more press resistant in that in that sort of game. I don't know whether I mean so much of it comes from the fact that City's press was was wasn't even really pressing the midfield so much as pressing the the, the back line and stopping them from getting it to the midfield. So I again, you know, I'm not sure how much of that would 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 necessarily help. Certainly if you have two players dropping in deep and then having to shadow those two players rather than just Calvin Phillips as a single pivot that would make things different and I'd, as we've already said you know that's sort of happened Click started dropping a lot deeper in the build-up phases um, and and working off um, Phillips dropping into in between the centre-back so it, it's it, yeah I think it, it, it would we definitely need a player like that because Click is for me a more creative player and sort of relying on him to do that kind of work is to is to miss his 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 edge but as we're going to talk about later on we've sort of developed this weird system now where we just sort of use click as that player and and then use rodrigo as a more creative eight in in that respect um so we'll go on to talk about that as well one final question on this from neil maltby he says slow starts have been a problem and fairly often changes at half time whilst first goals seem to be key for us is bielsa's brilliance in his in-game tactics and is the squad's tactical acumen key in how we finish well um joe how would you answer that I think Bielsa can often uh, take take his time to react to the opponent. Um, I think he has his obviously he has his way of playing from from minute one. But um, it, I do certainly feel that the players uh, benefit a lot from the halftime talk from him. I think he just gives them some new ideas and makes really tiny tweaks. So I think that's that might be why it seems like we're starting slow is because we're just sort of figuring out the opponent and sometimes you don't know if they're doing two up front or sometimes you don't know if they're doing an unexpected formation. So I do th- I do think they benefit uh very very much from the halftime chatter. Um yeah. 
Yeah, and I think yesterday again sort of fits in with that, doesn't it? This sort of notion that we were struggling for the first twenty-four minutes and then suddenly stopped struggling. Like, what what is that? I mean, it's a combination of City dropping off, but also a combination of that with with Bielsa suggesting other ways of of being able to transition the ball down the field and and it worked um so yeah I think a lot of this is to do with Bielsa's uh, brilliance and it's, it's interesting isn't it because I don't really ever think of him as being a particularly reactive manager but like so much of it is in-game responses and you, you know when you have three coaches like he does on the sideline shouting instructions it becomes really obvious that that so much of this is about a problem solving exercise where you sort of go through the 90 minutes and when a problem arises you approach it in a different way so for example yesterday we brought on Leif Davis I think to deal with the threat of uh, Bernardo Silva a little bit more or or because Mares had tended out towards the right hand side and Mares versus Dallas was not a battle that anyone wanted to see and so we moved Dallas in more central and um, we had the, the pace of Lee, Leif Davis then um, covering Mares and, and um, Bernardo Silva in that sense so yeah it and in a game like it, it, we've been really lucky I think in the last two games because Chris Wilder is a brilliant manager Pep Guardiola is a brilliant manager and both of those games were just tactically meaty they were just really enjoyable you could see that the, each coach was trying different things to to try and cause problems for the other or to stop problems being caused by the other and it was just really enjoyable games all around and uh, long may that continue we've got Wolves next in a couple of weeks time that will be another interesting tactical battle Um, and so yeah once again just that reminder to enjoy it while we have it right Um, lots of people wanted to talk about Favada um rightly so we brought Pervader on at half time and we switched Helder Costa to the right hand side so a couple of questions um Brolin ate the pie just says Pervader discuss uh, so it's, that's an exam exam question but let's go with that what do what do we think of Pervader what difference did that make and let's just let's talk about it in the generality as well so why was it that we brought on Pervader on the right and then switched Helder Costa to the to the left well um, we'll start with you Tom I was quite negative on Pervader last week and I'm going to be very positive on him this week. I thought he did really well. Um, I think part of the reason was he came on the right. I don't think he's pl- played on the left too often, um, whereas Costa's quite comfortable in that role. Um, and what Pervader, s- similarly to Costa, um, he can sort of drop deep, um, pick up the ball, then dribble. And I think one of the stats I found was that he come four out of four successful dribbles yesterday. Um, it was just like having to drop deep and then just run at City and that really caused uh, Mendy a lot of problems and I think it helped us sort of again beat, beat their press and get the ball out of our own half in, um, into the, uh, the City half I thought he had a, a brilliant game yesterday I thought he was just a, a bundle of energy it was great to see him uh, like Tom was saying dribbling, taking on players and just bringing, bringing some excitement and some pace to the game um, I think probably the reason he was was on the right was was because Mendy was there and Arke was there uh, later on, and Kyle Walker is probably stronger uh, than both of those two. And I think he was just yeah, we just needed his his dynamism to sort of push us up the pitch to to take to take on the left back and get us into space. And I thought he did that absolutely brilliantly. And even when he was dropping into our half to receive the ball, <clears throat> he seemed to have a a really keen eye just to sort of drive us up the pitch and use his pace and um yeah I thought it was a brilliant performance from him yeah I'm just looking at the um the dribbling stats now in terms of progressive carries so moving the ball with your feet down the field um and the, the interesting we didn't we didn't carry the ball very much at all yesterday which is um 
which is shown up by the fact that Robin Koch is our highest ball carrier. Obviously, that's because he's picking the ball up deep and pushing it 20 yards every every time. Stuart Dallas was, uh, was the second um, highest. And then Perveda and Rodrigo, uh, third and fourth. So Perveda carried the ball 133 yards and Rodrigo 125 yards. And that is partly because the game opened out, but the game also partly opened out because we had them on the field. And so they're carrying the ball um, in into more dangerous areas. And that's... Obviously, that's what we were missing in the first half because no one in the first half has put up as high numbers as that from those sorts of positions. Helder Costa only progressed the ball 100 yards in the whole game. Uh, well, until he came off. I can't remember how many minutes he played. but And in fact, he played the, he played the whole 90. So, um, yeah, in 45 minutes and 35 minutes, both um, Perveda and Rodrigo carried the ball um, more than anyone else uh, in that in that pit time period. So I, I certainly think that, that this has got to do with, you know, the ability to then carry. If you're going to bypass the press or if you're going to work down the lines and you're not going to work through the middle, then you are going to have to have um, good good ball carriers on, on either side. And I think uh, partly the the decision to bring on Perveda was a decision to bring off Alioski, who I thought was pretty poor yesterday. Um, and I think... Um, I think Bielsa must clearly uh, prefer Pervader on the uh, on the on the right to the left, and so uh, Costa got got shoved out over there. Um, we had a question from Richard Lang, who said Mendy seemed a big factor in the City dominance in the first twenty minutes, as Helder couldn't cope with him defensively. Interested on any insight how we managed this, including pushing on Luke, switching Helder to the left, and bringing on Jan, uh, rendering Mendy ineffective and withdrawn. Any thoughts on on Mendy, uh, Joe? I actually thought that uh, that Mendy was a threat throughout, to be, or at least in the first half. I, I, I think that Costa didn't really have much of a hold on him uh, in a one v one battle. You know, Mendy's so strong; he's he's got pace and he's tactically astute. And yeah, I, di- I didn't think Costa did did very well with coping on him. I think by the time that uh, Jan Paveda came on, I think Mendy was just getting quite tired. Um, and wasn't able to play the same way. So I'm not sure that it's Pervader, uh sort of muted Mendy defensively uh, more so than just Mendy uh, fatigue, being fatigued, you know. Um, and that's why we saw the change at, at the left-back. Yeah, it's interesting. I did read a, an interview with Pep Guardiola after the game, and, and he suggested that what he was trying to do was transition quite quickly. Um so as to break down Leeds's man marking, and I think you know this is a key. This is the sort of thing we we know is Leeds's weakness, right? What's the weakness if if you're playing against Leeds? What's the weakness of their man marking um, um, setup? And it's that you have a an inferiority against the centre back. So you'll have Bamford up against the two centre backs, or you'll have Bamford and someone else up against three centre backs in a back three. And it's so easy for you to find space in those sorts of situations. And then as soon as one player gets past their marker. The whole system has to react to that, and you end up with creating like unmarked players elsewhere on the pitch. And one of the reasons that Mendy, I think, was so dangerous in the first half was that he was just inverting. So he was he was turning Helder Costa, and he was driving to the centre of the pitch. And I think what so much of what Pep was trying to do yesterday was was cause problems in the centre. So we've talked already about the press f- forcing the ball into the middle, um, into into um, Calvin Phillips rather than down the wings, and um, we saw that happen so much as well in terms of the way that they attacked. So you, you'd see um, Imeric Laporte pushed through the middle quite a lot. Um, Mendy sort of drove for the middle too. And, and I think the, the general um, plan there was to just overload in sort of Calvin Phillips areas. Um, if you could do that, if you're constantly causing them problems in that sort of area as they were, um, 
then you you force Leeds' centre midfielders to drop deeper because of the man marking system, and um, you then rely on the fact that you've got someone like so they they weren't creating really incisive chances. The the Sterling chance came from the ball being built up in the central midfield area and then he just cut inside on his foot and, and got the goal and um, I think that's what they were trying to do and I think once Leeds started playing it down the wide areas City's tactics sort of fell apart a little bit um, and and they didn't have quite the same um, didn't have quite the same acumen that they did in the in the first 20 minutes and so I do think that Mendy was really important for that I think that he was ineffective defensively but that's Mendy he is a little bit ineffective defensively and I think bringing on someone like Jan Paveda is just is partly we saw the chance at the end of the first half where where Calvin Phillips takes that free kick um, straight to Mendy and Mendy tries to take a touch and Ailing nips in between him and that's one-on-one against um, Edison uh, I think that partly that move was partly that move to bring on Paveda was a recognition that if we can start causing Mendy problems in behind um, and get him sort of turning back towards his own goal, then he's going to be in, in a lot of trouble and largely work that way. Um, Tom, any thoughts on any thoughts on the Pervader-Mendy uh, situation? Probably not much more to add. I think I, I've never rated Mendy whenever I've watched him defensively anyway, so I think it was important that we uh, got someone at him. And I think um, if we look, um, Kyle Walker as well, where was there was... For both the city fullbacks were there to be to be uh, got at, so I can see why um, taking off Alioski, who was pretty ineffectual, um, um, was done just so we get got much more threat out wide. It's, it's interesting, is it? Because I think Alioski, we've got to a point where he is he's useful as a last twenty minute player to just come on and press opposition players who are causing us problems, and I think that's a great way of we we saw it happen against Fulham. Um, we saw it happen in the in the last game as well, where he came on, I think, and and caused just he just runs a lot, doesn't he? And and it, it just adds something to to the game. Um, but from the beginning, it's just it's it's just too reactive for me. Like he he doesn't offer anything. He's he's a bit of a defensive liability, and um, he's just too he's just too much of a wild um, child for me. He just you don't know what you're going to get with him. Um, but at the same time, I do love bringing him on with 20 minutes to go. So maybe that's the way, the way to go with him. And no doubt that's why we we are looking to bring in another wide player because we can't keep bringing Alioski on from the beginning. Um, and an interesting aspect of our squad, right, is that, you know, people love our squad. And I think it's, yeah, it's good, it's fine. But you lose Harrison to to a parent company loan clause and suddenly we look very, very thin in terms of our squad. Um you know, if we'd have lost Stuart Dallas yesterday to a potential red card, how much problem would that have caused us? We're, we're, it looks like we're selling Barry Douglas. We're down to Leif Davis as our starting centre-back, or left-back, if you if you don't play Alioski as the starting left-back. So, again, it does sort of raise a few questions about the, the squad depth, and uh, I do think it means that we need to, to bring a wide player in. Um, but we're slowly building up a recipe, aren't we, through this podcast? We need a central midfielder, a wide player, a left-back. Um, anyway, Leif Davis, speaking of uh, left-backs, had a couple of questions about them, uh, about him. So Joshua Annis-Brown says, I thought the most interesting thing yesterday was the switch to bring in Davis. I'd love to know your thoughts on that change in particular and how the game's changed because of it. Did Dallas switch to midfield? Who is Davis responsible for? Does it show our need for midfield depth? Um yeah, who wants to answer this, Joe? I think let's get get your thoughts on this. What were your, were your thoughts on the Leaf Davis cameo? It was it was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting that Davis is now ahead of Douglas in the pecking order. Um, Bielsa obviously rates him quite highly. Um, the way that I saw it, yeah, was Dallas did did go into midfield. Um, I found it quite hard to keep track of who Davis was actually responsible for because 
I think that was at a stage where City were rotating quite a lot. Like Bernardo, Bernardo Silva was just brought on to shake things up, and you know the the way that he does for City just sort of plays in every position and just um, makes incredible runs. Um, I didn't think Davis pl- was amazing. Um, he, you know, there was a couple of those penalty shouts, but um, I didn't really see much in that. But um, you know, otherwise he didn't really make much of an impact. But um, I think having Dallas there as as an extra cover uh, in that area, they could sort of double up on whoever was attacking that side. And um, I thought I thought that was quite effective between the two of them. Yeah, Tom, what's your thoughts on on um, Davis as a as a performance yesterday? I was I was wondering if um, Davis was brought on for to kind of help uh, reduce the threat of the counter attack because he is probably one of our fastest players, isn't he? Um, I thought I thought he did quite well. Like I, di- I didn't notice him make any issues, which I always think means he probably did all right. Um, it does. I if um, like you were mentioning saying earlier, John, if that does mean that uh, if Douglas goes and um, Davis is our second choice left back, I think we're probably even thinner there. Than uh, we were before, which isn't isn't a good thing. So I would like someone. To, well, not, it's not going to happen, but I would quite like someone to come in there if if possible. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, of of Davis as like a wing back. To be honest, um, I think he's a bit of a liability in the box. I think regardless of whether or not you think those two chances that could have been penalties were penalties or not, I think they're both shonky challenges in a dangerous area. Um, he also lost the ball a few times in dangerous situations as well. But he's one of those players that once you get him with space in front of him. You know he's a, he's a really decent player, but we 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 just have a plethora of these players, don't we? Who are like good at one aspect of being a left back, and uh, we always talk about some kind of Frankenstein's monster um, solution to this. But um, I'm not entirely sure that that Davis is is going to be a long term solution. But um, yeah, it, it, Bielsa also does have a habit of throwing on young players in like actually quite intense situations, like. Um, Pascal Stroke coming on when we were sort of collapsing against um, uh, Cardiff for his debut performance uh, and ends up conceding the goal and that that sort of sets him back a little bit in his development and the you know coming on one one against Manchester City um, having to face Riyad Mahrez and Bernardo Silva you know that's that's quite an intense introduction to Premier League football for Leif Davis so um, I'm I'm happy to sort of uh, accept that you know the nerves will have been playing a lot yesterday but we've seen him being played as a centre-back in um, under 23s and under 21s games and it's just we saw him in the Carabao Cup and it's just a disaster I think when he plays more centrally he's not a defensively minded player and that's fine um, because we, we you shouldn't need him to be as defensively minded as, as, as he was uh, expected to be but we, we'll see how that uh, develops Neil Mobby says, um, interesting that Davis was brought on when Shackleton is a more natural fit, minimum required, minimal changes required to formation. Does Bielsa trust Davis more in this situation due to tactical precision like Dallas? Um, Actually, I think the question is sort of wrongly angled because I think the issue here was with Dallas rather than with um, the central midfield. So I think the the decision to bring on Davis was more about covering that left back area with someone with a bit more pace than than Dallas giving more cover in in the centre. Um, but I do think the Shackleton question is interesting because Shackleton doesn't seem to be trusted that much um, by Bielsa. Um, we did see him. I think he came on in the Liverpool game um, and maybe a little bit in the Fulham game. But he's not got, he's not had much. Um, he's not had many appearances for longer than I don't even think he's reached double digits in terms of time on the pitch but um, 
thoughts about Shackleton? Um, he gets played as a right back a lot for the under twenty threes or for um, for um, the this, this second team, as it were, in the EFL Trophy and stuff like that. How do we feel about Dallas? Is he? Uh, sorry, Shackleton. Is he? Is he not? Um, is he not going to be played that much in the Premier League, Joe? It's hard to say, really. I, I do love Shackleton. I think he's a great player, and I think there is space for him in the squad and to play in some games. I think, like you were saying yesterday, it was it was just that he would have been the wrong fit um, because pushing putting him on into midfield would have meant that Dallas was still in the same position at left back and you know tiring out as the game wore on. Um, so I think Davis was the right choice uh, yesterday, but. Personally, I would like to see a bit more of Shackleton, maybe just a, you know, a few more cameos um, where possible, because I, I think he's a really exciting player. I think he has a lot about him, a lot of pace, um, a lot of sort of smart runs, and he's, he's good defensively as well, covering. Um, but Bielsa, you know, sees them every day in training, and he knows a lot more than we do, and it might be that Davis is just... Uh, coming through in training a lot more than, and Shackleton maybe isn't isn't showing it so much. Do you think Bielsa views Shackleton as a backup left uh, right back for for uh, Ailing? Possibly. I think his first his first thing would be to switch Dallas over to that side, um, and so Shackleton wouldn't get played at left back. Um, I think maybe he's third choice in that area, um, but then he's probably he's probably around the same. He's probably around third choice in midfield as well. So. I think Shackleton, you know, needs to. I'd, in that sense, I would like to see him get the game time just to prove himself, just to prove that he can go up the pecking order in central midfield above sort of Dallas going in and everyone else rotating, because um, he can make that position his own, and th- there is space for him there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Right, let's move on to talk about the defensive and uh, offensive side of the game. Um, so firstly, a question from Spyfors. He says, defensive mis- question about defensive mistakes. He says, almost every goal slash big chance against us has come after a sloppy pass or our player has gone in trouble and lost the ball straight after we've won the ball. Can you discuss this? Um, Tom, thoughts? I think it's, it's something you've uh, mentioned a lot, John. It's just the na- nature of how we play, uh, that if we get caught uh, in transition then uh, we are going to concede these big chances. Um, I don't think it's necessarily sloppy passes that are always getting us getting us into these positions as well. I think it's, um, especially yesterday, it's t- the way teams are pressing us in the Premier League is just not something we've seen in the Championship. Um, so the, the pressure they're putting our players under are causing us to 
misplace these passes and then uh, getting caught in transition and we're always going to concede big chances that way so I think I think that's um, probably what um, what's ca- causing that. Yeah I think the best way of looking at it is to, to look at it in terms of like are we creating as many or more chances and, and good quality chances than our opponents and we we beat City on XG yesterday I, I've some of the some of the models had us beating them by quite a bit but um, Statsbomb had us like 1.7 versus 1.5 so probably worth a draw um, and I guess that's the best way to look at it really is to say you know yeah we did give away some chances but we created some chances as well and um, the the transition point that you make Tom is you know, we, we transition in this way because it creates us better chances. And if we didn't transition in that way, then we probably wouldn't give away as many big chances, but we probably wouldn't create as many big chances too. Um, yes, I do think there is an issue that, though. I mean, yesterday, Liam Cooper passes the ball straight back. The ball is passed to him by, I think it was Mendy, and then he just passes the ball straight back to a City player. And then he sort of dives in on the on the Raheem Sterling um, fake shot. Um Again, that sort of nerves. We've seen we've seen um, Robin Koch make that uh, mistake for the penalty against Fulham, which I think was sloppy. Um, and then the, you know, there's been a few things here and there. There was the Pascal Stroke um, header out to Mohamed Salah, which I think I think that's pretty harsh to call that a defensive mistake. You know, you've got to get your head on a ball and somehow. So I don't think people have a huge amount of control over where a ball goes in a defensive header from a set piece all the time. Um, but yeah, I think there are situations where we can iron out some of these problems and um and, and I'm sure we will um and the nerves nerves coming back into the premier league for the first time in 16 years will be there too but i, I yeah i largely agree with 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 tom on this i think this is just a it's just a necessary um result of of playing the way that we do and as long as they don't result in us losing games in silly um, instances then then we're all good <clears throat> Robin Koch seems to be a constant uh, topic of conversation for us um, and our fans do like to hear us talk about him so we had a couple of we had a couple of uh, questions about Robin Koch Mark Dennett says Koch's be- best game question mark be great to see how his stats have improved over the four games so far um Let's go with that. What do we? I've not looked at the stats so much because actually I don't think the stats come into it that much. I just think part of the issue with Cock is that the the, the, the games so far have been quite different. Um, so you know the sort of game that he's going to play against teams like Liverpool and City are going to be very different to the games that he's going to play against teams like Fulham and um, and Sheffield United. And I think he's he's played fine in, in both. Uh, yesterday uh, again, I think Cock has a good game yesterday, um, but I also think he was playing up against. Raheem Sterling basically as a as a striker and in that sort of situation when he gets touch tight and just sort of stops him from moving anywhere I think he's always going to enjoy that kind of game um it'll be interesting to see how he deals with and we've already seen you know Mitrovic caused us problems <laughs> and uh you know if, if United if City had a striker like um Mitrovic then maybe it would have been a different story altogether but guys thoughts on on uh, Robin Koch Joe I thought it probably was his best game. Uh, I think he's really growing into the Premier League and growing into the Leeds team. Uh, we we obviously saw in the first couple of games that he wasn't maybe maybe wasn't quite settled in or wasn't used to the English game and you know gifting a couple of penalties in the first couple of games is is never good. Um, I also think that there's there's times when he can be a little bit more composed. Um, it's hard not to compare him to to Ben White. Um, but obviously we see Ben White always uh, is composed and never really hoofs the ball out or never really um, just makes rash decisions like that. And 
I'm still seeing one or two instances of, of Cock doing that uh, every game where he sort of will receive the ball and it will be fairly high pressure, but there'll be a pass on to Melier or to Phillips. Um, and instead he sort of maybe panics a little bit or maybe just clears it out into Rosette. Um, I think he did that in the first half yesterday when it wasn't really necessary. So I think he's still I think he's still learning and I think he still needs to uh, get a little bit more composure. But um, I do think it was his best game yesterday and it's good to see him not concede a penalty for once. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tom, we have a question from Cameron Hyde. He says, if, a big if, Llorente was to come on, uh, come into the starting side of a back four, who's ahead in the pecking order, Koch or Cooper? And do you think he'll, Or do you think he'll only be used when we play three at the back? I think he's probably back up to Koch. I think Koch's probably done enough to say that he's first choice on the right-hand side now. Um, and I think you, you did a bit of analysis on this, John, but I don't... I, don't, I think Cooper... I'd like to see Cooper... Uh, as a left-footed player, staying on the the first choice left centre back, which would mean I'd like Stroik to be this, uh, the backup on that side. So yeah, I'd say yeah, Lorente's in a back four, probably back up to uh, to Cock, um, and in a, in a back three, it's it's a tough one because I'd, I like Ailing on the uh, the right of a back three. Um, Cock and Cock did well uh, last week in the middle. So I think uh, to answer the question, I think I just see him as a backup to Cock. Um, Probably in both a back four and a back three mainly, or a back or ailing in a back three as well. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I disagree with that. Um, we had questions about passing out from the back. Uh, Russell said, "Very intrigued with Phillips, Melier, and Cooper's pass stats. So felt a few. Uh, I felt a, f- a few felt a bit loose today. Um, also, any analysis on midfield battle as those were as there were some huge gaps for De Bruyne. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, yeah, the passing stats. I think so much of this comes down to what we've already talked about." Um, in the, the we started bypassing the the press and so I think the two centre backs and Meslier uh, were going long um, and that means that your your passing statistics will will drop down as a percentage. I'm just uh, having a look at the passing now. Um, the completion rates. Meslier against um, Sheffield United had a 92.7% pass success rate, whereas. Uh, yesterday he was down at 77.2 so your instincts are correct Russell um, let's have a look at Robin Koch was at 87 versus um, Sheffield United and was at 85 yesterday so slightly less and then Cooper was 83 against Sheffield United and was where is he uh, 89 yesterday so he was his, his, his passing stats were a little bit better um, but certainly with with Melier, I think that it's obvious that that because he was forced to go long or forced to make more difficult passes yesterday because of the Manchester City press, he um he did change the way that he was playing. Um, let's move on to talk about. I'm, I'm conscious of time, so let's talk about the attacking side of the game. Um, so the Rodrigo conundrum. Um, has Bielsa not integrated new players quickly in previous seasons because of the quality that we? could attract in the championship should international standard players be able to do this more readily maybe Cuisance couldn't show this whereas Rodrigo should now start that's from Simon Bielsa Peel which I suspect isn't his real name um thoughts on this on the on the um on the speed with which Rodrigo has been brought in and the speed in which players were brought in 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 the past and obviously Cuisance was turned down because they felt that he wouldn't get up to speed quickly enough um so yeah Joe, what's your thoughts on this? I'm not so sure it's it's to do with the quality of the player. I think what one of the biggest examples of uh, player integration is Nketiah, obviously. Um, 
and he he plays for England under under twenty ones or uh, at the junior level, um, and he obviously plays for Arsenal and he does quite well for them. So I wouldn't say that um, Enketia is sort of lesser quality, and that's the reason. I think it's just a player by player basis kind of thing, and it's nice to see Rodrigo um, being integrated quite quickly. But we did see the same thing with Augustine. He did actually uh, make a cameo. I think it was in the game after he signed or two games after he signed he came on um for the last sort of 15 minutes so Augustine was Bielsa obviously thought Augustine was ready um but then obviously with injuries he's it kind of fell apart again and I think that's that's a lot of the reason why Cuisance uh did fall through because they didn't want a repeat of the Augustine situation where even a tiny injury a tiny little doubt um it's just not worth it at, at this level yeah, no, agreed. I also think with Rodrigo, you know, <clears throat> so much of this, so much of the slow start with players brought in is to do with them not understanding the system, and we've seen that with Rodrigo, right? We've seen that he struggles with the pressing a little bit, but in terms of the build-up play and the movement stuff, that's the reason he was brought in is because that's what he does anyway. That's his game. It's, he's a very intelligent mover. Um, around the ball and so I think the part of the reason why Rodrigo has come in so quickly is because he does understand he does he's just a player who is very suited to the game that we play and so I think that's probably accelerated his um his insertion in the team questions I've got I've put questions here without um putting the name so I'm 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 sorry if I've, I can't remember who wrote this question but there was a question on possession which was um, we had more possession than City tonight and Liverpool in the opening game remarkable really thoughts on that Tom Alderson That's a, it is fairly remarkable considering that you very rarely see City and Liverpool um, out possessed um, but I just think it, I can't remember the Liverpool one was pretty much 50-50 was, I think it was like 51-49 and this one was was it fifty two forty eight? So it's not not we haven't like completely gone out there and like dominated the ball. Um, it's just those games were incredibly end to end, and we just happened to have the ball probably for about two minutes more. Um, but it's it's just quite nice to see, isn't it, to to an extent? But I don't think it really uh, matters at the end of the day. Yeah, interesting interesting angle on this. That I think most places de- determine um, most places determine possession on the basis of passes so um for some reason it's you can it pretty much correlates the more passes you make the more possession you have so just looking at the passing stats um or t- touches from yesterday for Leeds anyway so Leeds made 582 touches to Man City's 558 so we had slightly more touches than than City and that's basically what determines the the fact that there were more um there was more possession to us um so much of possession, I think, people think about possession in terms of, you know, the more possession you have, the, the more dominant you are and the more time you have on the ball. But um, what, what a lot of possession stats don't take it, well, what possession stats don't take into account is how many turnovers there are. So, you know, you, if say say a team has the ball like five times, the other team will have the ball five times or four times or whatever it will be. You could have, if you had 50% more possession than them, then you've obviously had um, more time on the ball there. But when you when you start ramping up those possession those turnovers of possession so say say Leeds and and City had like a hundred turnovers of possession in their game so each team had it fifty times um, that's going to be a lot more I think than than City usually have so I think the possession stats have to be understood in the sense that Leeds are going to force turnovers more readily than most other teams are against teams like Liverpool and City so uh, we just that's a very long and complicated way of saying. Um, 
having more possession doesn't mean to say that we sort of dominated on the ball all the time. I think what it actually suggests is that we created more turnovers, we destabilised the opponent a little bit more, and it meant that there was the ball. The game was more end to end, so um, City won't have had the ball for twenty seconds average than they usually might have it'll be maybe down to 10 and that just changes the way that the game is for them and so I think that so much of this comes down to us just destabilizing teams um, turning over the possession much quicker with our intense press um, but also um, actually doing a bit more build-up play as well when we do win the ball back as well so um, I do think it needs to be taken with a pinch of salt um, but I do find it really really fascinating maybe I'll write a piece on this actually because um, I've I've touched on this before but I do think that something uh, along these lines would be quite quite interesting um right a couple of questions about what we need um so tom kelly question do you think the system we've seen we've seen deployed against last year's top two would be enhanced by another traditional center midfielder i'm not sure what he means by traditional it's in scare quotes but um obviously he's not the complete player but would a more conventional center midfielder be willing to do the job dallas does i guess it's sort of do we need an extra central midfielder a sort of positionally determined central midfielder joe I think we do. I think it would be nice to see um, a Pablo replacement uh, because obviously he's getting on. Um, It's hard to see initially, it's hard to see yesterday where another central midfielder would fit in. Would they replace Click or would they replace Rodrigo? Um, Because Tom Kelly mentions uh, doing the Dallas job, but well, Dallas was... Uh, left back for most of it really so they they might not be uh willing to play left back if we got a new center midfielder um but yeah i th- i think we do need one in terms of backup but in terms of yesterday's game i can't really i think click played well and i think rodrigo did a great job so i wouldn't really displace either of them uh right now it's a depth issue isn't it i think it's uh, it just feels yeah. like we and we've talked about this before but it feels like we very quickly end up having to fill holes with pegs from whatever shape the holes and pegs are it doesn't really matter but you get to a point where it's not about whether or not the square the the the, the pegs are the right shape it's more to do with whether or not you've got enough pegs um and you you know because we shift a peg from one side and then we move have to move another peg to fit for that one and then before you know it you sort of you, you're sort of cause, causing yourself more problems just by redeploying these pegs um the trainee RQT has a question again about further additions. So, do we need further additions? I still think we need a left back and a new Pablo. Um, but is someone like Dan James necessary? I'd rather not bother unless it's just a loan with an option to buy and see what the likes of Gelhart and McKinstry are made of if needed. Uh, Tom, thoughts on that? I've seen uh, quite a lot on Twitter after the game yesterday that do we like do we need a winger uh, because Pavada did so well, um, and I don't think it's necessarily we need a winger. Uh, to replace instead of Pavedo, it's probably because, um, as we've touched on earlier, we probably need someone instead of Alioski um, to come in from the start. Because like, you feel quite comfortable starting, obviously, Harrison Costa, Pavedo. But uh, like we've seen in the minute, Harrison's gone, we're suddenly looking pretty light. So I think I wouldn't say no to Dan James, probably would at 25 million, that's been uh, touched upon. Um, and then a new Pablo, I think, um, again, yeah, that is probably something we need, but that's more. A long-term solution, um, so I'd definitely rather wait on the right player if instead of sort of trying to get someone in in the last couple of days of the window that we're going to realise in six months' time that we actually don't need and we're going to be stuck in the same situation again. And youth players, I'm guessing that none of us would. I mean, Gelhart's a youth player in inverted commas, right? Um, because obviously he's, um, he's he was playing Championship football last season. He's he's starting for the England under-18s or 
21s or whatever it is now. Um, he's clearly a, a, a touch above, but I don't. Would anyone let Liam McKinstry anywhere near the starting 11? <laughs> Not at this stage, no. Um, <laughs> I'd rather see someone else brought in personally. Yeah. I think we do need that depth. Yeah, there's been a, a lot of noise about Rafinha, the uh, Ren winger, um, a Portuguese talent who I think would be very exciting. Um, it's the sort of player that I'd like to see us bring in. I think we'll get him cheaper than someone like Dan James. I think when you get a player like Dan James, you've just got to accept that they've they've become too expensive for you, regardless of whether or not you think they're good enough for you, which I think that there's even questions about that. But you just got to say, fair play, he's got his big move. Now we look for someone a little bit cheaper, a little bit more value. Um, so that would be the way that I would go about it. Well, we've just hit the hour mark, which is quite nice, so we can start tying, tying up these loose ends. But looking forwards... We have a break of two weeks um, in terms of the football, Um, at least in terms of the first team. We're not playing again until the 17th against Wolves, so we won't be back with a preview until uh, Wednesday after next. There is a game tomorrow. Um, The EFL trophy is is going on. Um, The the under-21s will be playing a game against Barrow, and you'll remember that the under-23s moved their game forward. The Middlesbrough game on Friday was supposed to be played this week, but clearly um, they're wanting to treat the EFL trophy with a little bit uh, more respect so um, that should be a fun game that's tomorrow at 7.45 I believe so yeah we won't be back until I think we're going to do we'll do a special episode I think this week we'll probably just talk about the transfer window during the international break so that will probably come out I don't know maybe Wednesday maybe uh, the weekend maybe we'll take next weekend off and, and just get a weekly episode out this week so we will see you then if you like our content and you want to get more of it and you're missing it over the international week, then why not try out our Patreon? But Patreon is a subscription uh, platform which allows you to get bonus content that isn't available to anyone else. Um, if you are interested in maybe getting some extra podcast episodes or watching some video analysis, so for example, I'll be putting up a video analysis of some of the aspects of the Manchester City game tomorrow, um, then then head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we? Three people who have done that recently are Trevor, Nathan Hubbard and Simon Appleton. So thank you guys for joining us. And with that, we arrive at the, pod- the end of the podcast. So all that remains for me to do is to say thank you, Joe. Thanks very much. And thank you, Tom. Cheers. And enjoy the international break, guys. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 